and a lot of people will hear this and uh, you know, this opinion might be controversial, um, but I would just say to listen to it. And this is what I would say. The feeling, the emotion that someone has to kill themselves is actually a good thing. Now, what I mean by that is this. Your body, your mind is trying to find a way to create a new version of yourself. You cannot create a new version of yourself if you are still living with who you used to be. Welcome to Intensify Humanity podcast. We bring the stories of ordinary human beings with extraordinary journeys. They have been grinded through life in terms of extreme challenges, guilt, shame, and things people cannot even imagine. All because they made a choice or decision in life. They are literally not just inspiring, but intensifying humanity through unconventional ways to such an extent that other human beings are inspired and pushed to live to their highest potential in life. I, Sundata Sarkar, your host today, will bring about the story of one such human being. I hope you find this episode inspirational. Since the age of seven, this little guy has been doing things that other kids could not even think of. His teenage years were technically successful, with his YouTube channel having minimum of 35k subscribers. Most importantly, he founded Minecraft server, which became one of the biggest servers. But his feelings, emotions and thoughts were saying something else. Social anxiety, depression engulfed him so strongly that he, instead of simply giving up at one point of time, turned the tables round and not just came out of that suffocating phase of his life, but today he is spreading awareness about mental health at global level. His podcast, Humans 2.0, has been in the top 100 podcasts in the world, which has seen some of the living legends share their journeys and experiences. It has been a vital platform for people across the globe to gain inspiration, insights and of course a learning to do something great in their life, thereby intensifying humanity to the greatest possible extent. He is also the Forbes featured TEDx keynote speaker. Featured in Forbes, Influencers, Inc., Huffington Post, Fearless Motivation and many more. He is none other than Mark Metry. Welcome, Mark, to my podcast, Intensify Humanity. Finally, I'm able to meet you, talk to you, and finally, we could close this date. <laughs> I know how much busy you are. And uh, let me just first tell you, you're a big inspiration for me because coming from where you are, plus what you are doing currently in terms of not only podcasts, but interviewing and other, knowing other people and bringing out stories, it's lots of other things. So thank you for being an inspiration. And That's what I'm here for. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So Mark, uh, let me ask you by this first question, how you generally begin your day? Yeah. So, um, so I remember how I first began my day growing up as a kid. Uh, it would usually be, <laughs> it would usually be me waking up, uh, at like 6am to go to school and like my mom would come and wake me or like my alarm clock would ring or something like that. And I remember instantly I would just be in a state of anxiety. I would be in a state of panic just whenever I woke up. That was basically like my life. Um, and ever since in about 2016, uh, I began to change my life around. And I found that, you know, having a morning routine is pretty important. And, you know, at first it looked like something like, uh, reading and then meditation. And then I would go to the gym and through the years it's changed a lot. Um, and it, it always is changing, um, just based on what I've learned that's new, what I've found that works for me now that's better. So for me, uh, the way that my morning usually starts is when I'm still in bed and I first gain awareness that my consciousness has now awoken. And I'm like, you know, it's like those first few seconds when you're in bed and you're like, oh, you know, it's a new day. It's like, you know, you're out of the dream world. Um, and I usually kind of use that time where you're like half asleep. And I try to do this thing called um, like lucid dreaming. Um, depending on who you talk to, um, it can take on many different forms. But basically what I do is I still try my best to like tap into sort of being in that state of not really awake and half asleep 
to imagine and to visualize what I want to happen for today or just think about crazy ideas that I normally wouldn't be able to think about um, like right now, like in my normal waking conscious state. And then when I do that, I usually get up, um, I drink some water, I try my best to like do some stretching, whether that's like a full on yoga session or it's just like me just like doing like a 10 minute stretch. Um, I live on the East coast of uh, America, the Northeast. So it's pretty cold here. <laughs> um, and so I try my best to go for a walk, but sometimes I just, I can't get myself to do it. It's like, it's like 10 degrees Fahrenheit, which I don't even know what that is in Celsius. Um, uh, but if I can, I'll go for a walk and then usually I'll try to, uh, meditate. I'll try to journal or write stuff down and then I'll usually go to the gym. Uh, I'll lift, I'll work out depending on the day. I might do some cardio. I might run. I'm training for a triathlon in June. So that's what I've been doing. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, I mean, for me, like the morning, it, it can look different from day to day. Um, but generally speaking, it's just a time for myself to kind of figure out like what's going through my mind, get my mind sorted, get my body sorted. Um, and yeah, that's usually what it looks like. The thing that you mentioned to become conscious in that unconscious state is so important because people generally what happens, they just jump out and they think of all the problems that is going to come in the day. Yeah, that is very powerful. That is very it's super powerful. powerful. And you yeah. never know, like, you know, the simplest things can change your life. Like if you just on that conscious breath, you just like take a breath and you're just like, dang, you know, I made it. Like there's literally, I don't know what the numbers are, but there's maybe like, you know, in America, like 10,000 people that literally died last night. Like they didn't, they didn't wake up. Um, and so it's like, if you can just start your, your, your day off with something like that, even though, you know, if someone's listening to this and they don't do that, it might sound stupid or it might sound gimmicky or it's like, why would you tell that to yourself? You know, I, ha I have to do this thing and I have to do that thing and I have to do this thing uh, right away. And I don't have time to, to bring myself into consciousness or meditate or do whatever. And it's just like, you know, well, then you're just going to keep on getting the same results, you know, and if that makes you happy, go for it. But if it doesn't, you know, you now know what to change. Yes. Gratitude. The, one of the most powerful thing in the world. Yeah. I agree. Right. So uh, you're this kind of journey, like meditation, yoga, gratitude, consciousness, unconsciousness, all this kind. When did it exactly start? In other words, as per your experience or your story that I've heard, you did not have a normal general childhood you faced a lot of challenges, a lot of internal stuffs that were going on in terms of social anxiety and depression. So mm. when did it exactly start and how did you realize, you know, identify that you were having some kind of internal problem? Because many people cannot identify that. That's a great question, right? And like you said, or what we said before, it's like, um, you know, it's all about becoming conscious of it, right? Because, if you're not conscious of something, it is still governing you and controlling your behavior, even if you don't know about it, right? So it's like, um, you know, there's this analogy that's like a fish in water. And it's this analogy that says like, you know, let's say, you know, there's a fish and it's in a fishbowl, okay? And that fish is swimming, it's living its life. And then, you know, let's say it's talking to its other fish friend, and it's like, you know, hey, um, did you, you know, did you see the water? And the fish is like, what are you talking about? They're like, what's water? Like, I'm just moving my body. And so basically, it's an analogy that says, you know, this water, it's everywhere. It's completely surrounding the fish. The fish is living in water at all times, right? But it doesn't see it. And so what happens is, let's say that fish tries to go above water, it can't. And so the water is controlling its behavior. And so, you know, you take any kind of issue, whether it's some kind of like trauma and it manifests its way into social anxiety or, um, 
an eating disorder or being overweight or um, being angry all the time. You know, everyone has issues. Um, but, you know, if you walk up to a kid that is still facing those issues and they're not conscious of them, same analogy of the fish and water, and you say, hey, do you see this water or do you see this anxiety? They're going to say, wait, what, like, what's anxiety? They won't even know. And so, and so, yeah, I mean, so I had a really interesting life. Um, but the moment when I realized um, things weren't as good as they could be or I had a problem was probably two moments. Um, one moment was in terms of me finding out I had social anxiety. This was in college. Um, I, growing up throughout my life, I never really experimented with drugs or alcohol. But when I went to college, I did. <laughs> and I remember I was at this college party and um, I remember I, I got drunk, right? I, I drank alcohol. And, you know, a lot of us know that alcohol is a social lubricant, right? Alcohol impairs your judgment. And so all of a sudden I'm at this party and now I could speak my mind. Now I could talk to people and I just kind of stopped and I'm like, wait, 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 wait. Like, why wasn't I able to do this before? And so that was maybe one of the first times where I actually became conscious that I did have social anxiety. And the time where I realized where I had just really serious, like general anxiety uh, and also depression was when um, it was towards the end of 2015, beginning of 2016. This was also in college that same year. And I was, I was maybe about... Um, during that year, um, I gained like over 75 pounds in weight. So I was like 220 pounds. I was never really overweight throughout the rest of my life. And I was just doing that to fill a void in my soul uh, with food. And, um, you know, I had a ton of other issues that we don't have to get into. Um, but basically, it got me to a point in my life where like I just didn't know how to fall asleep anymore. And so what I did was I would just try to um, walk around in the middle of the night in my city at like 2 a.m. And I was also getting like suicidal thoughts of just like fantasizing about wanting someone to walk up to me and try to kill me, try to mug me because I didn't really know what was going on in my life. I wasn't conscious of it, but I just felt pain. And I was like, you know, I tried to eat the pain away. That worked for a short time, but then it stopped working. You know, I tried to, um, you know, whether it was alcohol or drugs, I tried to do that, but then eventually they stopped working. I tried to, you know, binge watch Netflix and whatever silly kind of stupid YouTube videos. And that was working for a time, but then it stopped working. And so it got to that time where just nothing I did to cope with the pain worked. And so I remember on one of those nights where I was walking, I kind of felt like I, I, um, so I don't remember when exactly this was, but I remember I was walking on the street and, you know, the street was completely silent. There were no cars in the road. Um, I wasn't playing on my phone. I wasn't distracting myself. I wasn't with anybody. I wasn't listening to music. And, you know, I think I was just so desperate and I was doing things that I've never done before that I think like, you know, whatever you believe in, you know, your soul, God, the universe, consciousness finally spoke to me and I got still and I got silent for one of the first few times of my life. And it's not like I heard like audible words, but in that moment, I sort of realized that there was something much deeper and much more um, purposeful than sort of like you know, this reality that we just see out of our eyes that's in black and white every day. And when I experienced that, it gave me a slight glimmer of hope. And I remember like running back to my, um, my apartment, my college dorm room. And it's not like, you know, I was like, you know, I'm going to change my whole life around now. At this point, I was still relatively unconscious. But I remember I went to the bathroom and I looked at myself in the mirror and I noticed that I was overweight. I noticed that I had gained weight. I noticed that my pants were very tight on me. And that was maybe the first time where I realized that there was something wrong. And I was just like, wait, like who, who am I? Who am I becoming? What do I even stand for? 
And that was maybe like the first moment of awareness where I realized like, oh, snap, like, you know, things are, things are off uh, in my life. And uh, yeah, those are probably those first two moments of conscious awareness. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing it in so deep. And just as you mentioned that when you first started having alcohol, then you first realize that why can't I be like this when I'm not under the influence of alcohol? You just had that right. moment of truth. So uh, would you say, or if I'm correct me, if uh, I'm wrong, that you were one of the few, you know, uh, blessed person who could gain that consciousness at that point of time somehow because there are so many people out there especially the kids who commit suicide because either they don't identify that or they don't get help or they don't realize that even you know there are knocks on their doors yeah so yeah so i mean honestly you know what you just said is something that you know, I thank God for every day, right? Because I look back to that same exact moment and I was like, wow, I could have actually just killed myself or something bad could have happened. And that I am eternally grateful for. And I'm, I'm grateful for, um, you know, despite me having troubles, I also had a lot of great things in my life, right? Like my, um, my parents never abused me. They were always there for me. Um, you know, I didn't fall into the wrong, into the wrong crowd too much. I didn't get too far down the rabbit hole of like drugs and alcohol and messing up my brain. Um, and so, yeah, I'm very eternal, eternally grateful for that. Um, but, you know, also um, looking back at it now, you know, I've learned that I am very much someone who is zero or 100. So what I mean is like, I'm very serious about things uh, all throughout my life. And what I'm talking about is, you know, a lot of people, they may experience these issues, but they may, for example, you know, write them off and say like, oh, you know, uh, you know, that, that voice that I heard or that moment uh, that could have led to a moment of self-actualization. Oh, that's just, you know, whatever. I'm just going to go back to my friends and I'm just going to get hammered and, you know, do X, Y, and Z again and again. And I'm not saying that, um, you know, I, it's not like I did not go back to those things. It's not like I, you know, completely changed my life around in one night. Um, but also I felt like for me personally, um, I, you know, experienced a lot of adversity when I was like a young person. Um, in terms of psychologically speaking, from ages like nine to like 18. So that's almost uh, a decade. And, um, you know, for me personally, um, I, um, so my, so to rewind here, uh, so my parents, I'm sorry if I go on a tangent right now, but uh, so my parents, they came here from Egypt uh, to America. And, um, you know, I didn't really see my, my dad when I was growing up because he was mostly at work. Uh, but as my parents sort of got better jobs and ma made more money, we moved out of the inner city, which was just filled with like violence and drugs and alcohol. And I saw crazy things when I was a kid um, to a better place outside of the city in like a rural town in a small town that had like 5,000 people. And in that town, you know, there was a lot of great people. Um, and there were also a lot of not so great people. And um, I don't remember what year this was in, but uh, I think I was in like third grade and, um, you know, like 9-11 in America had happened pretty close to that time. And, um, you know, I'm Middle Eastern, right? Um, and so I, you know, got hit with like this massive wave of like racism and bullying um, mostly every single person at that town in the school that I went to was all white. There was nobody that looked like me that was a different race, that was a different color. Um, like, I remember I got beat up at the playground. People would call me a terrorist. People would call me a, a sand nigger. People would do all these sorts of things to me. I remember I got, like, made fun of in my class by my teachers. Just, like, you know, crazy things that is still happening today in America. Um, and so when that happened for me, that kind of put me in like a bubble. And I also began to develop some 
health issues, some physical and some mental health issues. I began to like go to doctors, get medicated, all this kind of stuff. Um, this kind of put me in like a bubble in my life where I just like stopped talking to people. I saw the world as a hostile place. I was just trying to survive every day. I had no friends. And so I kind of lived in that mindset, in that mentality for 10 years, for literally a decade of my life. And so I knew, even though I was in that water, even though I didn't know it at the time, when I began to wake up from it when I was 18, I realized what was going on. And I realized that life can really suck. Like life can be really terrible. Like I don't wish what happened to me would happen to anyone. Like, you know, for me, like I literally, like I remember I was a terrible student too. Um, but I would still prefer to be in class rather than like go to lunch because at lunch I would always sit by myself and in class I could, um, you know, pretend that I had friends and I could pretend to sit next to people. And it was just a very, very lonely, terrible, uh, mindset, uh, place. And even though I had like, you know, my parents, my mom, my dad, my sister that loved me and always supported me, you know, I couldn't feel or receive their love or support because I didn't have it on the inside of me first. Um, and so I feel like to answer your question, um, I feel like not a lot of people have lived that way for that long. You know, maybe someone is in that and then they go, you know, join a sports team and they have like three friends that they make and their friends support them. And then they, they like slowly begin to get, I didn't have any of that. And I, of course, it's not like I'm, you know, my life is not just terrible things. I had a lot of great things happen to me in my childhood. Um, and I did have some, you know, relatively shallow success. Um, but I felt like I was so far down the rabbit hole that I knew what the alternative was. And every time that I tried to get away from the conscious right path, I would be reminded of, you know, hey, Mark, this is not new territory for you. You've sucked at life before for like 10 years. Um, and so I feel like um, because of my struggle, like, what, like I speak around the world now and I tell people this, I say, I literally spent the first 18 years of my life not wanting anybody in the world to know who I am, to not wanting anybody in the world to know about my story, to not want anybody in the world to know about the anxiety that I faced every single day. And I tried to hide that. And now every day, that's literally all I do, <laughs> whether it's on podcasts or writing books, speaking this, 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 and that, that's all I do today. And I don't think that's a coincidence. And I'm sure you know, if I didn't have as much struggle or I was a different person or I wasn't as sensitive, I don't know, uh, I wouldn't have done what I did. So I'm grateful for it. I'm very lucky. But also, I definitely had to earn it too. I had to earn it through blood, sweat, and tears. And that's what enables me to be successful today because I was so unsuccessful before. Thank you for sharing that intimate details because yes, being blessed is not, you have to earn it. So you earned it literally because you really had a rough patch in your life that time. And uh, which brings me to my next question is, what is your purpose in life? Mm. Man, that's a great question. So, um, so, you know, honestly, I think it's definitely changed. Um, as I've learned more about myself, as I've learned more about the world, um, it's really changed. But honestly, you know, for me, uh, in terms of like my legacy on what I want to happen, you know, I don't really care if people know my name or not or remember me when I'm dead. I used to, but I'm just like, I don't really care. Uh, for me, it's like, I, okay, this is going to sound really weird, but I honestly think when like 500 years from now, whatever society is looking back at like history of this time, I hope that I'm able to be a member of the conversation of the people that, um, you know, really eradicate um, poor mental health, that eradicate mental illness for billions of people. Um, because I think it's definitely possible the same way that, you know, 
in, I think it's the 1700s, when there were millions of people dying from the bubonic plague because of deadly bacteria, and then someone invented the antibiotic, and then now they're like, wow, all these people don't have to die anymore. That's what I hope. Uh, I am somehow a contributor towards that. Um, and like, you know, I'll tell you, if you look at the world today, you know, there's, you know, this world has never been better. You know, even though if you turn on the news, you look at the news, you know, this, you know, this country just bombed this country, this place is on fire, this, 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 and that. Um, that's true. But in my opinion, uh, a lot of these problems are, um, are minuscule. Uh, and I'm not saying that to, to discredit them at all. These are, you know, there's a lot of serious problems in the world that we have to address. Uh, but compared to what it used to be, I think a lot of these problems are better than, than history, than what we had before, than you know, World War II, where there were millions of people dying in the street and countries nuking other countries. But to me, in terms of my perspective, in terms of my eyes, you, know, you look at the statistics, the data, and you know, there's almost a million people that commit suicide every year around the world. And that's, that's more than people murdering each other. So you're more likely in today's society to kill yourself than to have someone else kill you, which is so strange. And I remember for me, when I was suicidal, you know, looking back at that now, what I realized was this, um, and a lot of people hear this and, uh, you know, this opinion might be controversial, um, but I would just say to listen to it. And this is what I would say. The feeling, the emotion that someone has to kill themselves is actually a good thing. Now, what I mean by that is this. Your body, your mind is trying to find a way to create a new version of yourself. You cannot create a new version of yourself if you are still living with who you used to be. So what I learned when I was suicidal is that I wasn't actually trying to kill myself. My mind was trying to figure out, okay, how do I end how do I eliminate the previous unconscious version of myself that I had created through survival reasons to be able to live who I actually want to be today? And so, of course, a lot of people don't get that far in processing that emotion and unfortunately do kill themselves. But I think if we reframe this conversation, if we teach people that, you know, um, mental health is more about... Uh, Mental health is more about, you know, you uh, at the final moments of your death and you have to call the suicide hotline or you have to go to a doctor to get prescribed uh, an antipsychotic drug. Mental health is something that is something that you can do ever since you're a kid. It is something that you can participate in uh, in every moment of your day. But the matter of the fact is, it's just not taught to us because it's not prioritized. Why? Because human life in and of itself is not even that, is not even valued that much. And it's today in our society, it is just becoming valuable. And like, what I mean is if you look back to less than a hundred years ago in world war II, the government was literally taking young men forcing them to put their name and to wear a uniform and to wear a certain color to um, go kill other young men wearing a different color. And there were literally people dying by the hundreds of thousands, if not millions. Human life, people, like society valuing human life is something that is still brand new and not a lot of people get that yet. And so if we can, you know, in terms of mental health too, like, you know, you look at countries in the Middle East, you look at countries like in, in India, you look at countries in South America, nobody talks about mental health, nobody. Uh, and so if we can start to bring this conversation forward and we can, you know, sort of stop phrases that are like, you know, mental health only looks like people that are born with like uh, genetic mental disorders like Down syndrome, but mental health is actually... Uh, a facet, a capacity of each person, the same way that physical health is. Uh, I've, I hear some people say things like, you can't get depression or you can't get anxiety if you believe in God, if you're religious from that space. And it's just like, the whole conversation is so messed up. And if I can be a, a player in sort of reversing that, I hope that can be my purpose by the time I'm dead. So, man, that was a long answer. <laughs>
that was so profound and your purpose is so powerful mark and one thing uh, you gave me a new way to look at it that you know when somebody wants to kill themselves it's a good thing i mean that concept is so profound that you shared i i loved it if only people understand that because it is what it is because until and unless you want to become the better version of yourself nobody else can help you to become that and maybe it's a life way of teaching you yeah absolutely and you know something that i always think about today is um something that i always look at today is like you know i read these articles whether it's on linkedin or it's instagram posts that have like motivational quotes and i'm always thinking like if i was who i used to be like super depressed and anxious and i read that would it even help me and of course some content out there can help someone but i feel like so much of of this helpful stuff online is written in a way that won't really reach someone who's at the lowest point of their life um and so you know i've i've shared this like on stages and stuff about what i said about having that emotion to kill yourself is actually a good thing and um you know i've i've had people that come up to me after and they're like crying and they're like you know i never understood what all these other speakers were saying and when you said that i kind of felt like this real raw visceral emotion inside of me that i haven't felt as a kid um and so it's like i'm always thinking about as someone who's trying to make this happen i'm always trying to think about like how can i reverse engineer the mindset that i have today to the mindset that i used to have back then so i can reach people that are still in that mindset rather than just say be positive you know stay happy do this do that and giving people things that are more powerful than words things that people can actually do to help them move the needle a little bit so uh, i'm glad you you like that yes of course and clean talk always works with these kind of people because they motivation is always temporary and they always don't get motivation mm. it's like a filmy thing so which brings me to the next question that somewhere you mentioned in your social media post that uh, your ultimate weakness is your ultimate strength so you mean by this oh oh man dang this is a great question um so this is this is what i think i was saying um so i don't think there's any coincidence in the world that like doing what i do today like speaking whether it's on like the podcast that i have that's ranked in the top 100 in the world or it's speaking internationally on stages i don't think there's any coincidence between what i do today and the fact that not even that long ago like when i was 15 16 17 uh and before that i like in school for example whenever i had to present i either just wouldn't go up i would go to the bathroom or i'd just skip school that day right and so it's like i think the fact that my biggest weakness used to be talking to people used to be communicating towards others uh and having social anxiety that now is one of my biggest strengths and you know obviously at times i still have maybe some anxiety i'm a, still a normal human being i still have problems um but i mean my social anxiety is largely manageable it's largely uh in controlled and it's because I've had that that now enables me to be such a powerful and thought-provoking speaker. Um and so that's that's one sense to look at. It. Another sense is like I didn't know, not as I didn't know but I was not certain on who I used to be. Right? Like I didn't have confidence, I didn't have self-esteem in who I was as a kid, right? That was my weakness, but now because i feel like i've lived like so many lives because i feel like i've lived lifestyles of people that like like when i look back at who i used to be i can't even imagine like i'm just like so far disconnected because of all the work that i've done in now that i just i don't even remember what that feels like anymore but it's that weakness of me living different lives of me having other people's stories in my head govern myself like whether it was 
People told me I was a loser and I would never amount to anything. And then my brain picks that up and it starts to internalize it. And then it starts to emit those same thoughts as if they're my thoughts, which that's not true. It feels like because that was a weakness for so long, now one of my ultimate strengths is whenever I have a story that my brain is telling me, that my ego is telling me, whether it's you know in a moment uh, like today or it's you know some event happens and my brain you know gives me like that instant um, thought that's usually wrong, you know like for example I don't know like just an example like let's say you say. Um, like, let's say I say something and you say, um, you know, Mark, I don't really agree with that. I agree with this, 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 and that, you know, instead of maybe approaching that with humility, my brain would be like, this lady doesn't know what she's talking about. I'm so much better than her, right? Like a lot of these sort of instantaneous things that our brain tells us, I'm not able to like realize that story and just like instantly call it out and be like, that's BS. That's not me. That's not my higher, truer self because I've had so many like false stories that I lived with inside of me that I'm now able to realize them in a second and call them out and get back on track. Um, so yeah, I'm glad you asked me that. I don't think, I don't think anyone's ever asked me that before. It's interesting. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. I, I'm glad you liked that question and I love that answer that you give. All right. So, uh, since mental health is such a pandemic issue right now, do you think that, you know, more and more schools and colleges need to take up this kind of awareness, maybe in terms of syllabus or exceptional uh, subjects or whatever it is, because schools and colleges, I don't think are doing, you know, the amount of work they should do in terms of this. Yeah, I mean, honestly, so I'm, so I'm 22 years old. I have a lot of my friends that are still in college. And honestly, I... I hate to say this, and I don't, I don't necessarily think this is true for everyone. Honestly, I think one of the number one causes of stress is school, like hands down. Like seventh graders do not need to be spending two hours on solving problems of, that have different syllables, different symbols. And they have to, I don't know, add, subtract, multiply, divide. They have to get their parents involved because they don't know. Their parents don't know. They have to Google it. Then they just like copy answers from the internet. It's such a piece of crap, in my opinion, and I'm so glad that, um, so this summer, I'm going to be involved in this uh, documentary series for Amazon Prime that is going to be shown to 500 million people around the world, which I'm so excited about, and like, it's essentially, it's a documentary series about solving the world's biggest problems, and the problem that my team has is reinventing the education system. And that is one of the first things that I'm going to do. And I hope people can see um, what we're doing on Amazon Prime, this TV thing. And then whether it's teachers or principals or superintendents or administrators or students or parents, I hope they can see this and actually reflect and do the same thing in their community. But, you know, honestly, it's like... Um, it's definitely a large conversation. You know, I'm not saying that like, you know, if we're able to solve the education system, you know, or if only teachers would do this, or if only schools would do this, then all of our problems would be solved. It's a much more complicated issue. It's very complex. Um, but in it at the same ways, I think that schools, especially at a young, young level, they should teach just like the straight up human fundamentals. Like what does a human being have to do, right? Like what if, if you don't do it, you'll die, right? So what is that? You have to breathe, okay? Um, you have to eat. You have to drink. You have to sleep. You have to move. You have to talk to people. Um, I think that's basically it. I mean, there's maybe one or two other ones that you have to do. Um, if we could focus on those six or seven things and we taught people, this is how you actually do them based on thousands of years of human history of successful societies that have done it before and also science that we have today it's like hey you know your your breath for example is not just like this unconscious thing that you don't pay attention to your breath is actually the anchor of life and like imagine what this world would look like if we began teaching little kids like different breathing exercises. This is what you do if you're nervous. This is what you do if you're angry. Uh, imagine if we began teaching kids about very basic forms about meditation. 
uh, next of food. Imagine if we began teaching thing, teaching kids about food, about like, hey, when you eat this, this is what happens to your body. When you don't eat this, this is also what happens to your body. You know, this is, this is the best food for someone like you, for example. Um, food is not just about you know, adding pounds to your waistline. Food is also heavily correlated to someone's mental health. Um, sleep, right? It's like, hey, instead of pulling all-nighters to do your stupid homework that is not going to be important for the rest of your life or staying up playing video games, did you know if you get eight hours of sleep, you are already ahead of 60% of studies that show that mental illness is correlated to some degree of sleep dysfunction. There's, I, could, I could keep going, but it's like if we could start with the very most basic levels of human society, it's like, hey, this is how you talk to people. This is how you deal with your emotions. If we're able to do that, then I think we could go a long, long, long way. And I'm, you know, I'm not saying like, hey, we need to get rid of you know, math, for example. Like I think if we can introduce kids to a basic level of math to teach them how like logic works in someone's brain, and you know, math is very, very important. Like math is the way that our society goes round. And you know, if you're an engineer or if you're a job that's related to that and you're building structures in society, math is super important. But like I remember when I was a kid getting super anxious about like this test that I got a 39 on and I failed. And I was like, oh my God, I'm never going to be successful in my life. And it's like, I have literally never thought about that again in my life based on what I do today. And whether that's at like at a young kid, like kindergarten, preschool, first, second, third grade level to even college, that's even better. And, you know, honestly, you know, they they're like schools are starting to do this. And I think that change is going to come from a decentralized peer-to-peer -peer level. Um, you know, personally for me, I don't really think that we can look towards the government to solve these issues because I don't know about you, but the government in America, there's a lot of great people in the government for sure. Like I know I have a lot of people that work in the government and whatnot, um, but I think that change is going to happen at a grassroots ground level through local government, teachers, parents, administrators saying, screw this. And I know a lot of them. My teacher, I mean, my sister is a teacher at a public school. Like she talks to me about this stuff. I know uh, people that are administrators and that are principals that are beginning to talk about this stuff. But if we're going to like sit back here and say like, hey, we have to let the government do this, it's never going to happen. Our government is too busy spending trillions of dollars on building better weapons to disenfranchise generations in the Middle East and in other countries, they don't care about education um, at, a, at a generalized, very broad level. Um, and so I think that education is going to be solved by ordinary people, parents, teachers, entrepreneurs. I think that's probably the biggest one. Um, like I already know entrepreneurs that are building virtual reality systems that have artificial intelligence that kids can wear, that can teach them how to learn based on, based on what the AI has learned and how best they learn. I know people that are doing like crazy things. I know people that are starting their own schools and bringing in these human elements. Um, and so I just think it's going to take time. And I also hope that uh, the more we can have this conversation and also uh, on Amazon Prime and all that stuff, I hope we can you know, get people more familiar with this. But I think it's so, so, so important. First of all, a big congratulations for that. Amazon Prime, it oh, is yeah. going to, and I'm waiting to watch it. And um, of course, it is going to be great and it is going to be the game changer. And as you mentioned, yes, transformational education is the one that we want and need instead of the conventional education. And uh, thank you for sharing that so much in details. And you also spoke about food, which brings me to the next question that in one of your episodes, you mentioned that you generally eat what comes from directly the ground instead of the granola bars, processed foods like that. So do you think the diet plays a very important role in mental health and how? So first off, this is like one of the best interviews I've ever been a part of. Um, oh my God. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm really glad. Of course, of course. Um, so this is it, right? So remember when I told you about um, when I was at my rock bottom, I didn't necessarily, I wasn't conscious of, my, of, of all these issues, but I looked at myself in the mirror 
And I was like, wow, I gained a lot of weight, right? And so my first starting point of like self-development, mindset, whatever you want to call it, um, was with health, was with physical health, right? And I remember, it took me a little while to learn about it, uh, but I remember reading books about like nutrition. I remember reading articles on the internet about food, all these different things. And, you know, I basically began to eat a diet that, um, long story short, is like you said, it is things that are, that are natural, things that, you know, um, God has made, although technically everything is natural. <laughs> um, that's a whole other argument. Um, but it's basically like things that come from the ground or things that have been walking on the ground or things that have been swimming underground or whatever. And so when I began to eat a diet like that versus what I used to eat, which was, you know, uh, pizza, chicken wings, cookies, brownies, uh, soda, fruit juices, um, things that were not green. <laughs> and so um, when I began to eat a diet like that, um, not only did I lose the weight, but I felt like my brain turned on for the first time. And when my brain turned on the first time, I began to pick up a lot of other habits because I had way more energy. I felt like I could clear, think clearly for the first time ever in my life. And I was able to gain more awareness about everything that just happened the last few months, the last few years. Um, and so that's where I began to like look into meditation and, and exercise and all these different things. And so, you know, my, my understanding of it has changed over the years, but this is where it is right now. So, you know, in terms of mental health, in terms of how Western treatment is mostly set up is if you have a mental health problem, you go to your doctor and you're prescribed usually an SSRI, a serotonin a reuptake inhibitor. Okay. And I don't necessarily think this is good or bad. I think they can be used in the right kinds of situations, but just taking um, a form of medicine uh, that's an SSRI for the rest of your life and not doing anything else will probably lead you to having worse mental health problems over time because you're not addressing the root issue. And so you look at serotonin, right? It's a neurotransmitter. Um, it's like the, the, basically the main neurotransmitter that people talk about when it comes to like happiness, your mood, depression, even things like leadership. It's, it's much more complex in its function. But according to the latest science, uh, most of our serotonin isn't even in our brain. Most of our serotonin is in our gut microbiome, which is like in between our intestines and our stomach. And it's this community of trillions of bacteria that have existed ever since humans have, have been formed in a symbiotic relationship that keeps us alive and we keep them alive. 90% of our serotonin is in our gut microbiome, which is heavily correlated to what you eat. And so the reason why I'm so big on food, like if people listen to my podcast or people like um, read my content on social media, the reason why I'm so big into food is because, um, you know, there's a lot of people, and I'm not necessarily disagreeing with this, but there's a lot of people that take someone who's depressed or has anxiety and they're like, hey, you know, read this book that'll tell you how to retrain your thoughts or rewire your, 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 whatever it is, affirmations, this, this, and that. I think those are great. I think those can be very important, but that's basically like trying to install, like, I don't know if you have, I don't know if you have an iPhone, but I do, but that's basically like trying to install the latest version of iOS software to like an iPhone four. So if you have outdated hardware, your brain or your body, and you're trying to install new things on there, it does not work. You know, you may be able to download 5% of it, 10% of it, but you're not going to be able to uh, meaningfully download all that information and use it. So when somebody, for example, begins to eat healthier, let's say they begin to um, you know, eat more vegetables and they begin to get more nutrients and minerals um, into their body, and then they start to eat more like healthy dietary fat. And then all of a sudden they feel like their brain is starting to work. And instead of, you know, crashing 
at noon or 1 p.m. or 2 p.m. or 3 p.m. and reaching to grab, you know, a cup of coffee that maybe has like 40 grams of sugar in it, um, they have energy. And it's like, you don't actually know who you are if you don't have energy, right? So it's like, let's say you could, you could be the world's nicest person. You could be the world's most passionate, patient, compassionate, um, kind, helpful. You want to help the world. You want to change the world. But if your body, if your brain does not have the raw resources to create energy, you are not going to be able to be yourself. And so it's like, if you are able to get somebody to change their hardware first through food, and then whether it's, you know, through food, they have more energy. Now they can exercise. Now they can sleep well for seven to eight hours. Then it's like, then they can begin to get a clear mind and install that new software that's at the surface level of like your thoughts and your, your, your logical brain. Um, and so that's why I talk about it so much because it's like, if someone is depressed, if someone is anxious, you could give them all of the motivational quotes in the world and they, it does, it's not going to mean a thing to them. But if you're like, you know, hey, dude, just start eating this thing and then start eating that thing and then start eating this thing and then start eating that thing. And the next thing you know, they've, you know, big, like slowly beginning to remove the processed foods from their diet. They're beginning to remove, um, you know, things that don't do anything but harm their body. And they're able to add on nutrients, fats, things of that nature. And they can begin to feel like themselves. They can have more energy. Then they're like, wow, it's actually way easier for me to think positive or for me to, you know, rewire my mindset now that I have the right kind of hardware. But it's like, I see people all day that are in the self-development world that have been in it for like 10 years or five years. Um, and again, I'm not trying to like say anything like I still have problems too. I still sometimes get anxiety uh, and whatnot, but that still face a lot of the problems that they faced ever since early on because they never changed their biochemistry. They read something and they expect, um, you know, a lot of their problems to, to go away. And it's like the matter of the fact is, is like, if you don't change your neurobiology, your biochemistry, which, which is heavily correlated to your psychology, then you're just going to be like a hamster on a wheel. You're going to be like, you know, you're going to be one of those people that's like on YouTube all day. That's watching motivational YouTube videos to get energy because you don't have it within yourself. And so obviously there is a fine line because you could be eating, for example, all the healthy food in the world, but you could not be doing good things with them. Right. And so there's a lot of ways to go, but I'm saying this especially like today, um, especially in America, where a lot of kids, uh, a lot of teenagers, a lot of young adults, a lot of older people too, a lot of senior citizens, we're not taught anything on food. Like we're taught zero on food. Um, and so it's like, you know, hey, like I've, you know, I had this expert on my podcast come on and she's like, hey, you know, you have somebody take um, an omega-3 supplement. Uh, you have someone take a... Um, and this depends on the person. You have someone take a vitamin D or a magnesium supplement. You have them start changing the right kinds of foods. You have them sleeping well. Next thing you know, you know the depression that they've always had for their entire lives is now gone. And obviously, it's not like that simple some of the times, but sometimes it is. Um, that was definitely the case for me, uh, especially someone who was diagnosed with a lot of physical health issues growing up, things like asthma, things like IBS, things like appendicitis, things like ADHD. When I changed my food, almost all of my health conditions went away. Like I remember going to my doctor and he was like, yeah, I don't know what happened, but like, yeah, you don't need to take this medicine on that you've been taking for your entire life. Like you can stop taking it. Um, and so I think food is honestly going to solve a lot of the world's problems, whether that's like from the environmental standpoint or from a mental health standpoint or from a community standpoint, like they've even done studies, for example, that show in prison. So in a controlled population, they've done studies that show, um, a one group of prisoners that were fed like the normal prison diet. And then, uh, another group that was fed the normal prison diet, but they also gave them a multivitamin and they saw over the course of months I think it was something like a, a 50% decrease in violence in the group 
that had taken the multivitamin. And so it's like, as someone who's been heavily inflicted on this my whole life, I have no doubt. And like, I have, I have so many people that I talk to, so many people that I know in real life, business leaders of successful companies, of people that reach out to me on email, through my podcast or on LinkedIn. And they say, hey, Mark, you know, I began to take your advice. I stopped eating processed foods. I stopped drinking soda. I began to eat, I don't know, like again, there's no such thing as a universal diet, but I began to eat vegetables and fats and like my anxiety is half gone. My depression is half gone. And so I think if you can give someone that as advice, you don't even need to give them inspirational advice or quotes because they can begin to find out who they are if their brain starts working properly through, you know, serotonin, 90% of it is in your gut microbiome. So food, I cannot talk about it enough. Like I could, like we could literally do a separate podcast on food for sure. And it's like a major chapter in my book, uh, screw being shy on your biochemistry. So it's all, it's all connected. Thank you so much, Mark, for, uh, you know, describing it so precisely and logically, which makes absolute sense why it is so important to stick to the ground and the natural food habits. <laughs> yeah. And uh, which brings me to the next question when you mentioned that, you know, all your experiences, food, uh, your personal experience, your experiences with other people, everything you have mentioned in your book and a major chapter is about food over there. So tell me something about your book and who is this book exactly for and how are those people going to benefit from it? Yeah, that's a great question. So, so if we rewind, um, when I was telling you sort of one of the first problems that I became conscious of, of my life was having social anxiety. Right. And when I became conscious of that problem, I tried everything I could to solve it. Right. I tried right ways to do it. I tried wrong ways to do it. Um, this is before I was like reading books and, and things and whatnot. And so for maybe like a year, uh, I kind of had to like put myself in like my own room and literally just figure out how I'm going to do this by myself. Um, and so a lot of the things that I've learned on how to get out of social anxiety, I have yet to see in, in any other book. I have yet to see in any other place on the internet. And, you know, if you Google social anxiety books or shy books or whatever, you know, there's a lot of great books out there. There's a lot of great books that are written by like behavioral analysts. There's books that are written by psychologists. Um, I'm friends with a lot of those people. I think a lot of them are very smart. Uh, they're very great. But I have yet to stumble on a single book that is written in a common sense way that is still backed by science and not just some person's random words and, 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 uh, and anecdotes. Um, and that has a lot of the methods and solutions that I found uh, on social anxiety just through trial and error. Um, and so this is a book for someone that is that wants to be their true self in front of anyone. There's a lot of people that, you know, they may not be shy around their kids or they may not be shy around their mom or their dad, but when they're at work or they're in front of their boss or they are at an event, they're super shy. And that's because they haven't exactly um, sort of gone to the root issue. They haven't exactly gone to the root problem. And so this book is for someone that is relatively simple-minded. This book is written in an extremely easily digestible way. It's not that long uh, whatsoever. Um, this book is really for anyone that struggles with being shy, introverted, um, socially anxious, uh, doesn't know how to be themselves in front of people, whether you're a kid, kids can read this, or whether you're an adult or you're a 50-year-old. Um, and then it's also written for... Uh, the last chapter of the book is for kind of written for like, um, like shy, like entrepreneurs at an organizational, um, at an organizational level. And that also means that, you know, this book is made, you know, you can gift it to your 14 year old son who has no friends and doesn't know how to talk to people. You can gift it to your daughter who is also facing anxiety. You can gift it to a friend of yours. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and so, you know, honestly, the book, um, 
this is the first book I've ever written. Uh, I know I'm going to write a lot of other books. Um, so this book, so the digital version, the electronic version, uh, like the one that you can read on Kindle or on your phone or whatever, um, I'm releasing that totally for free. People can get that on my website when, March 14th when the book comes out. Uh, I'm releasing the audiobook for free. And I'm also doing, um, so the book doesn't have much to do with my life. It's not really about that. It has to do with just a very practical uh, way to do it. But the audiobook, um, in between the chapters, I'm having a friend of mine interview me. And that's where I'm going to talk about more of my story, just, you know, because we know stories connect ideas much more in someone's brain. So the audiobook is going to be for free. And then the physical book, the one that people can buy on Amazon, like the hardcover, they can buy that. Obviously, that's not for free, but I'm going to take 10% of the profits and donate that to the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Um, and so honestly, I just want this book to get out there as much as possible. I'm like going on every single podcast that I know. Uh, I already have um, a confirmation from Forbes that they're going to be doing an interview on it. I have a lot of people that are helping me out a lot on this. And I hope, I hope the ideas in my book can become mainstream so that social anxiety being shy isn't even a problem anymore. I hope schools and colleges buy my book and hand them out to people that are struggling with this. Because honestly, this is the thing that I learned. There's a lot of problems that someone can have, right? Like social anxiety is not the only problem. But I think that social anxiety is one of the worst problems somebody could possibly have. Why? Because Social anxiety is heavily linked to social isolation, which is heavily linked to loneliness, which is heavily linked to substance abuse and suicide. And it's like, if you are having problems, but you can't talk about them because you're shy to someone else, you are not going to go down a great path in life. And so I think my book is going to be a killer solution for people that are too afraid to talk to people about it for people that are too afraid to go to therapy yet. Because if you can read this book by yourself and you're like, wow, there's like actual legitimate things, like one, two, three things I can do here. And at the end of every single chapter, there's challenges, there's exercises that someone can do. I think it can go a long way. And I hope that the ideas in my book become mainstream. I hope that they can become so accepted by societies waking level of consciousness that we don't have this issue anymore the same way that I was affected by it for 10 years of my life. So, so can you just name uh, your book? Oh yeah. It's called uh, screw being shy, how to eliminate social anxiety and be yourself in front of anyone. And for people that are interested in it, if you go to my website, Mark Metry, my first and last name.com, um, there should be an email uh, box and if you put in your email there you will get alerted when the book is out uh, so it's screw being shy and yes. it's a kick-ass title first of all <laughs> <laughs> and also just to rephrase this this book is for everyone be it kid be it adult or be it any senior person anybody out there anybody who is going through any kind of self internal problem or any kind of social anxiety stress or any kind of a problem which they are not being able to speak to anybody, right? It is going to help them at last. Yeah. Yeah. And also, you know, this is also what I've seen. I've seen a lot of people, especially like in the business entrepreneur world that say, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not shy. I'm not socially anxious. But then when they go to a party or when they go to an event, and I'm not judging, when they go to an event, the first thing that they go to is they go to the bar and they grab a drink of alcohol. Why? Because alcohol is one of the most commonly used medicines for social anxiety. People drink it and, oh, now I can talk to people. Um, and so this book is for people that really just want to get to the root cause and don't want to be caught up by these little traps that society tells us we should do and that are acceptable. This sounds really interesting. And <laughs> I'm really waiting to read your book. And I hope... I'm sure it's going to touch billions of hearts out there and billions of lives out there. And uh, it'd be available in every school and colleges and every institutions which deemed it necessary. And, you know, the students or so. people 
get help out of it and i wish you all the best for the book and a big Thank success you. not just you know best seller or best impacting but it reaches beyond your control so i hope i hope so <laughs> all the best for that definitely all right sure. so uh, who's your favorite author <sighs> oh man honestly i'm not sure but i would say uh, right now uh, mark manson you wrote the books um, the subtle art of not giving a f- Thank you, Mark Manchin. Okay, what is your favorite book till date? My favorite book? Uh, oh, man. Honestly, it changes from time to time. Uh, right now, I'd probably say uh, Atomic Habits by James Clear. Oh, great. Okay, next question is, if not an entrepreneur, podcast host, or a global change maker, what would Mark Metry be? I would be a world-class chef. Uh, cooking is probably one of my favorite uh, hobbies to do. I try my best to do it every day. And I have no doubt like 10 years from now in the future when I have, like, like, have this chapter of my life more established, I have no doubt I'm going to become like a world-class chef on like TV or tre- teaching people how to cook healthy meals without spending too much money. Wow, I love that answer <laughs> because I'm a big foodie and I love food. Me too. <laughs> okay, great. So you'd be a chef. And very soon we are going to see in your that avatar too. So, uh, Mark, uh, how can our listeners connect with you? Um, if you if you Google my name, Mark Matry, you'll see everything like my podcast, my LinkedIn, my Instagram. I'm probably the most active on LinkedIn and Instagram. So, if, if you want to reach out to me, just uh, follow me, send me a personalized connection request, send me a DM, and I'll try my best to get back to you. All right. Thank you so much, Mark, for, you know, coming to my podcast and answering such, you know, questions in detail and helping the people understand what goes behind and what it takes to be where you are and what exactly is social anxiety all about. Thank you so much. And uh, all the best for your next journey, the Amazon, the book, everything that's going to come. Thank you. I appreciate it. Woo, thank you for having me. Thank you for tuning into my show. That was Mark Metry, a human being who himself fought the trauma of social anxiety and depression and is on a mission to not just spread awareness about this to the entire world, but also transform lives whenever, wherever and however possible. I hope you found this episode inspirational.